0: Welcome to Raw Female, a podcast that offers an unfiltered look at women in midlife. We're your hosts, Chris and Allie. Welcome to part one of our interview with Parks California CEO and President Kindly Walsh Lawler. Kinley spent over 20 years advocating for women globally as an executive at GAP, She just transitioned into an executive-level position in a new industry. Today, Kinley discusses what guided her through this work transition, emotionally and logistically. She talks about the importance of being her authentic self and explores the whys behind how she structured her career.
1: All right, let's jump into it. Okay, so why don't I start? Um, Sounds good. One of the things about you, Kindly, that I that I really admire is all the advocacy Thanks. and championship for underserved communities that you're doing through work. So what I want to do is kind of use that as the first step in looking through that lens. Walk us through your career and what that looks like from those pillars.
2: Sure. Can I go back to the origin story? Because I feel like everyone's origin stories really influence where life takes you. Um, And I would also just mention that I would say I have the definition of a spiderweb career. So, um, you know, never would I have thought all those years ago, this is where I would be and what I would be doing. But in retrospect, of course, it all makes sense, right? So um, I feel very honored, actually, to be fighting for people's rights who don't have the mechanisms to do it for themselves or may not understand um, the rights that they do have, depending on where they live, depending on um, how they were raised, or even if they're a woman in a certain country, uh, they may not understand what they have the right to stand up for, for themselves, for their children, their daughters, their sons, um, their families in general. and. You know, I was very fortunate to be raised by two educators. Um, my mother was a music teacher. My father was a counselor and a Latin teacher at one point in his career. Uh, and we were raised with a, a sort of a, a mix of spirituality is how I would te- how I would frame it. And also this very strong undercurrent focused on equity and justice, but without ever those words perhaps being used. It was more about everybody had the right to be and do what they wanted to. Everybody should have the right. Everybody, nobody was better than anyone else was always the message we were taught. And, you know, in my mind, I was uh, sitting on a small farm in northern Vermont near the Quebec border processing this in a very uh, white state in a very white town. Um, And I I didn't connect all the dots, I would say, on what people actually struggled with beyond poverty until I went to college in New York City. And suddenly, the world was a true melting pot, right? What I saw was what the world really looks like, um, what cities look like who I could be friends with what I could learn from people. And then I started traveling around the world making clothes after being a design student. And again, my my horizons kept expanding. And so but deeply rooted in all of that was, what's my role in teaching people about what I know, but also listening well enough to learn about what they know.
0: So, Kindly, did you have that advocacy drive um, from a young age growing up? Yeah, yeah. Is that something yeah. your parents modeled for you?
2: I definitely think, yeah. Yeah, no, I think they definitely modeled it. My dad, you know, my dad was a Franciscan monk before he left the monastery and met my mom. So he came out with this sort of spiritual, that connectivity, that holding people up was how he always showed up. And my parents chose to move us to the country for the the sort of quote better life that place where there would be less judgment uh in their minds right and so i think all of that together do i think i was always um taught to stand up for what i believed in absolutely um so much so that in a sense i almost alienated myself from friends when i got to high school um i didn't know who to who to align myself with in a sense and so i became very lonely and i didn't really established great friends between the ages of 12 and 18 until I went to college. And then I guess, as they say, you find your people, right? You find the people that think either similarly to you or different enough that it becomes inspiring and they become your friends. And my closest and bestest friend is Jenny Martin, who I met at 18 years old at the university of Vermont, you know, and still is my closest and bestest friend. And Um, you, you start to see the compliment. So I I don't think I was ever taught to, again, those words of advocacy or equity or justice, but it was always the foundation. And then as I started to work and travel and meet people, I had a lot of questions. I think that's to me when the awakening really started, Uh, I didn't study international affairs or socioeconomic realities or anything like that. But what I saw, I started to see those things as I traveled around the world, starting at the age of 24. Um, And that's when my questions started. I was in the outdoor industry, actually working in ski and snowboard apparel, um, making, making clothes, yeah, around the world. And I remember walking into factories and asking factory owners or managers or agents or whoever was sort of placing us in these places, were these good jobs? Where did people live? How did they get to work? How old were they? Without, again, any comprehension of there being protective mechanisms that did exist for people doing this work in these countries. But I didn't know that yet, right? It wasn't, it wasn't designers and people working in the industry all those years ago, I'll say. It, it wasn't, it wasn't as a parent that you should be pushing for those things. And that in retrospect sounds terrible, but, but I inherently had those questions. I had that curiosity. And I think that's ultimately what led me to leave what I knew best, which was designing and making clothes and then really stepping in to protect the primarily women who made the clothes because of my curiosity, because of my um, desire to help in some way. I loved what I did, but I really wanted to be proud of what I did.
0: So it sounds like you uh, latched on to that meaning piece early on.
1: Yeah. And also, I think Gap was the the job that you were able to put a bigger footprint on that space. Yeah. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that and how
2: that kind of unfolded? So, I'd been at, I stayed at Gap for almost 21 years. So, when we met, I'd been there for a couple of years and had had the opportunity to be promoted and develop a voice within the organization across two brands and had leapt from the brand piece, Banana Republic and Gap brands into sustainability and corporate social responsibility, actually the year after my oldest uh, was born. And I did that very consciously when I left and took maternity leave. I said to my husband, when I go back, the work I want to do is this sustainability work that's focused on human rights, focused on the environment. Uh, And I said, I don't know that I could ever get a job doing that, but that's what I want to do. And within a year of returning into my old role of of making the clothes, traveling around the world, getting things made and getting it into stores and customers' hands, I had made that leap uh, into, at that time, running strategy for all of sustainability and was asked to really develop a plan for the environmental work, which had newly come into the area. And... um, what did I know how to do? I know how to maneuver um throughout the company, right? I had relationships across brands, many people who are now in leadership roles. I knew how clothes got made. I knew what worked and what didn't and then I was in this awakening moment of learning from people who had dedicated their entire careers or educations to focus on very specific things human rights or the environment, or climate issues, or, or, or. And so I was just like a sponge, taking it in from the team that sat in San Francisco, but more often from the team that sat globally. At one point, my team was 120 people, and they sat in 20 plus countries. And so they were the experts of what was happening to workforce, what the cultural norms were, if there were corruption levels, how that was affecting jobs, how it was affecting safety or rights or all of the above. Um, so I just went into massive learning mode. And quite honestly, I was a new mom. I didn't know how to do that. Didn't really know how to do this job. And suddenly learned about myself that I actually was very comfortable being uncomfortable, um, that I was comfortable being in massive learning mode and that that was actually something that made me really inspired and happy. I think that's really important learning right there. I think especially for
1: women, I yeah. feel like especially for the younger women too that you want to put yourself in that uncomfortable spot. You want to kind of lean into that. And I came to that later. I think yeah. kindly you actually came to that early. And I think there's that there's a distinction. If you can learn
2: that earlier, the better. Definitely. And I, I think this is another part of, you know, how do you build on your I keep calling it origin story, but I don't know where else to go with it. How do you build on, you know, what you were taught to believe about yourself? You know, my dad as a as an ex monk was someone who was very um, well read and book smart and had multiple graduate degrees and but only flew once in his whole life. And he was more comfortable with the world in books than he was the world in person. And I, I wanted to see the world in person. I wanted to really take it all in. And, you know, I, you both know that I recently had some tattoos done. Uh, I wanted to do it when I was 30. Didn't want to do it when I was 40. Didn't did it when I was 50. Finally, in the middle of a pandemic, but I did these hawk feathers on both of my wrists in honor of my dad. He loved hawks. And I've been thinking a lot more about what that meant to him since I had these tattoos, because I see them every day. And it almost says to me that he had this wanderlust, but he didn't know how to, how to manage it because he also had fear. And so I think being able to say, yeah, maybe that makes me uncomfortable or that scares me but still being able to do it is something that has been a tremendous um, gift and also confidence builder for me. You know, I've never been someone who says it's oh, oh it's okay to fail. That's not how I see it. It's more it's okay to be in a perpetual state of learning. It's okay to not be the smartest person in the room or the expert in the room as long as you are authentically showing up, listening really well and then connecting dots maybe that others don't know how to connect. So that's something that I, I think about a lot is, is the connection piece. And I think it has served me very well over the years. So Kinley, do you have any tricks or takeaways for how you push through fear at all? Ooh, good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. To me, the unknown it's not scary. It's really interesting. So I guess I've never honestly, almost never, I should be, you know, just to be really blunt, almost never feel so afraid that it stops me. I feel so interested and intrigued that I have to know more. So I I think my framing has always been there.
1: Okay, can you talk through your past work at Gap
2: and how that's informing the work that you're doing in this new role? Yeah, yeah, happy to. So, you know, I spent almost 21 years at one place, and I I think it was the right place for me for a long time because I almost kept reinventing myself, moving brand to brand, and then moving into this sort of center-led um, human rights, environmental space, and then learning and, and representing the organization and the workforce in that way. And I would say the last two years that I was there, I was getting antsy. What was I going to be when I grew up? Was what I was starting to feel like. You know, I had matured over the 20 plus years that I was there and was very grateful for that. I was grateful for what it allowed me to do. Um, for my family. I was grateful for what I learned. I was grateful for the places I saw and the people I met. But I was wondering, where else could I be effective? That was sort of where my brain was starting to go. And interestingly enough, you know, we had spent a lot of time in different countries working on these big problems. And when you work on big problems anywhere, you know, you need more than one type of thinker or one organization to fix or start to tee up solutions. And so multi-stakeholder partnerships, oftentimes public-private partnerships where business was present, um, government was present, and in a, in a good situation, uh, labor, nonprofits, and NGOs were present representing what was happening on the ground was how these solutions would be born. And start to be implemented. And I really loved it. I loved this concept. And never would I have, again, targeted this for myself early on in my career. But what I realized was I was always good at bringing people together in some way, becoming a connector. Um, And because I sat within the private sector, I had this gift that people would listen, right? And so then I tried to figure out how do you use that for good? And so I started to meet these people who, to me, became the changemakers. And more often than not, the changemakers were the NGOs and the nonprofits who sat on the ground locally. And so I started to say, I wonder how effective I could be if I sat in that kind of role. I would love to do that someday, 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 someday. And then years go by and you're still saying someday. <laughs> and I started to think about what it might mean to work more locally on things that mattered to me. And maybe as one of these change makers that sat in a smaller organization, but that still was a connector. And I had zero idea what to do about that. Zero idea. So I took six months off with the intent that I would take the first summer off ever since college um, with my family and went back to Vermont for almost a month and traveled around and just had an amazing time. And uh, had actually an old friend from high school, I guess all things map back there now, I don't know, who had become a recruiter and had been working in parks and public lands and equity space for years. And he called me and said, I'm recruiting for a job for an organization called Parks California, and I want you to apply. And I said, well, what's the job? And he said, well, they're a statutory nonprofit partner to the California State Parks and government And uh, and I think you should apply. And my response to him was, you're crazy. Have you seen my resume? And he said, yes, I have. And I'm not. And you need to apply. So what I would say is help and support comes from unlikely places. And people who know you from years ago know you well still, even as you get older. And so it took someone who knew me when I was 14, 15 years old, and who I'd stayed in touch with over the years, but and tracked my had tracked the work that I was doing, to say, I see something in you, that even you don't yet see. And so I I would say, you know, when you find your people, again, sort of that, keep them close, because it matters.
0: You know, what a great illustration that is, for people that are starting, you know, new endeavors that are feeling a little uncomfortable or,
1: right. you know. Well, and also I, it's very humanizing to hear this from somebody that's at executive level, because, yeah. you know, for me, I mean, you can learn new things. You can learn these things. Right. And right. For me, that's a great, kind of feedback loop. You know, my question is, is are you do you have a process like I like to over prepare for things? What is your process? Yeah,
2: I think, again, sort of the when you're especially in reinvention moments, staying true to yourself is really important. So I had the opportunity was very fortunate to ground myself into Who did I want to become as I took those few months off, right? So that was one sort of like, let me just, let me just step back from what I just spent two decades doing and think about what matters to me, right? So I had that luxury. That was very fortuitous. And then I had someone looking out for me in a way that I wasn't even looking out for myself. Also very fortunate there. Um, When I stepped into the role, what I said, my non, I I sort of created a list of non-negotiables right i needed to be able to show up like as myself and be open and honest about what i knew and didn't know um and i needed to be able to have that conversation with all levels of people not just people i w- wasn't worried about what they thought of me i needed to be able to to speak that candidly with everybody whether they were the director of state parks or not right and so really all i could do was come in As my authentic self, which sounds a little silly, but has really served me well in my friendships, in my working relationships, um, and just show up and say, I am here to listen and learn from you. I will develop a point of view, but I'm not going to share it yet because I have so much to learn. And so I would say for the first two or three months, I was just in meeting after meeting doing just that listening and learning talking a little bit about my background um, but not trying to marry what i had done to what i believed i needed to do yet and then i would say by year four or uh, by month four it was oh i'm starting to see some con- more connectivity between what i do know how to do and what some of the problem statements are that are coming to me over and over again Tune
0: in to part two of this interview next week when Kindley discusses fear, mentorship,
1: and the importance of checklists. Don't, don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at rawfemalepodcast.